Welcome to Flowcast by Trillium Flow Technologies, a podcast sharing expertise and insights on engineered valves, pumps, and actuators across power, oil and gas, general industry, and water and wastewater sectors. Tune in and experience the performance engineered difference. Hello and welcome to Flowcast, a podcast presented by Trillium Flow Technologies. I'm your host, Michelle Dawn Mooney, and today we're talking about API 610 12th edition, what you need to know about the latest edition of the pump industry's popular standard. And joining me today to discuss the API 610 is Simon Bradshaw, Global Director of Engineering and Technology for Trillium. Simon, thank you so much for being with me today. Hi, Michelle. Nice to be with you. Simon, before we get started, let's hear a little bit more about your background. Yeah, my, my name is Simon Bradshaw. Um, I have what is probably the most boring resume in the world. I, I started with in the pump industry when I was 17 years old, and I'm still in the pump industry 35 plus years later. So, you know, with, you know, I, I, I kind of credit that to the fact that it's, it's, um, you learn something new every single day. Um, it, it, there's not a, one day goes by when there wasn't, there isn't something that pops up and it's like, wow, I didn't know about that. Or, you know, and for an engineer, that's, uh, that's like wonderful thing. You know, you're always learning. Well, far from boring, Simon, because you have an incredible resume there. And that's why we're happy to have you here today because we're talking about something that is a little complicated, um, has a lot of moving parts, maybe literally and figuratively. So let's dive in with some basics. What is API 610 and what are the benefits of using it? Okay, well, that's a good place to start. I, I mean, API 610, for those who aren't aware of it, it's the primary standard governing the supply of centrifugal pumps into the oil and gas industry. It's been around for a really long time, since uh, 1954. And the, the benefits of, of using it are that it really focuses on ensuring that the pumps made to the, that standard are, are safe and reliable with a really long lifespan, you know, typically 25 years or more. And you know, meantime between repairs, if you're operating, you design pumps to the standard and you operate them correctly, it's in years. You're talking about years and years of, of trouble-free service. Um, the thing to keep in mind here, um, and this is really, really important, is that for an average pump, the initial purchase price is only around 12 to 15% of the total life cycle cost. Um, and it, it's something I think a lot of people tend to focus on, well, you know, what, what's the upfront price? And, you know, really that's the, that's the wrong, that's the wrong thing to be looking at. Um, in comparison to that 12 to 15%, which is the upfront price, uh, around 40% of your total life cycle cost is operating maintenance and downtime. So when you consider that, it becomes really clear how a standard, like API 610 that, that helps pump purchases focus on, you know, reliability, safety, these kinds of things will save them money in the long term. Absolutely. And, you know, reliability, of course, is, is so important. But if we can get a good value along with it, it's always a good thing to save money. So let's talk about the latest version because this is exciting. We've got a new one here, API 610. So when was that released? 
So the latest version of API 610, drumroll, is the 12th edition, which was published in January of 2021, right in the right in our pandemic. Um, so it's probably why a lot of people didn't notice because they were worried about getting sick or whatever. So uh, it's interesting to note that they had their plan, API's plan was to update it every five years. This particular revision took 11 years to be released from the prior edition. So we talked about the pandemic and being released in the pan- pandemic. Obviously, so many things were halted, put on hold, delayed, but take the pandemic out of it, five years versus 11 years is a pretty big gap. So what do you think the reason was for that? Yeah, I don't have a completely definitive answer here. Um, I've talked to a few of the uh, contributing members um, and what they tell me is there were certain, what they, let's call it, uh, certain key items that took a long time to resolve. Um, This is you know, if you read between the lines, it's generally code for there was some, let's, let's call them robust debates over certain changes. Um, I mean, the thing to remember about standards, making standards is, is, is in some respects just like lawmaking. You, you, you have a range of differing opinions on what the requirement should be. And, you know, there, there are often very you know, valid differences of opinion. Uh, it, it's, you know, based, a lot of it's based, experience-based. And, you know, as a result, it can take, a long time to reach a consensus, uh, and in this particular instance, it took them, you know, took them eleven years. Yeah, but it was worth the wait, I'm sure. So, let's talk about the new aspects of API six ten for the twelfth edition. Can you give an example to the listeners of a change in the API six ten twelfth edition that took us so long to get, and hopefully, it was for good reason? What type of change that makes it a highly visible contribution to safety? Okay, so the, the most obvious one that, that, that I think will really be apparent to people when they start buying to this standard is that now there's a shaft guarding around the area of the, the mechanical seal. And these guards are typically painted a, a, a bright, cheerful color, usually yellow or orange. They're pretty obvious. Um, and they're, in the previous editions, there, there, was, there was guarding required, but not in that area. Um, this, this, at least in my opinion, gave a mixed message on safety since um, the area around the mechanical seal and, and the drive collar uh, were still exposed. And, you know, you could, if you weren't careful while you were you're performing maintenance or inspection, you could get caught uh, by that rotating machinery and you, you could certainly be injured uh, as a result. So the new requirements are very clear, very visible. Uh, when it's been supplied to this edition, and I think definitely uh, a step forward for uh, emphasizing safety. So moving from safety, let's talk about the same for reliability. You mentioned this was a key goal of the standard. So what did API 610 12th edition add or change to improve that? Okay, so there's quite a few areas, and um, let me kind of call out a a, a couple of of, um, or a key one. The latest edition, they they have a number, quite a number of changes in the materials appendices, which are appendices G and H, um, that in aggregate, at least in my opinion, should have a very positive effect on reliability. Looking looking back over the 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 my career, I would say that the when you when you look at the the warranty claims that were significant in value or expensive repair issues. 
a lot of them stemmed from the wrong material selection. So anything that API 610 can do to, to improve that, I think is, is, is a great thing. Um, you know, providing basically providing better guidance on the materials to be used. Um, these pumps are handling often very aggressive fluids, very corrosive fluids, uh, and you know, having the right materials is is an important aspect. I will note, however, that the the latest edition still makes the purchaser responsible for the material selection, and unfortunately, I've seen a number of cases where this ended up with a bad reliability outcome. So for example, uh, there was uh, more than one occasion where a purchaser mandated uh, an S6 material code, which is essentially a, a carbon steel, uh, carbon steel for uh, boiler feed water services, and they did not have adequate control over the water chemistry. And as a result, you got um, accelerated corrosion or, or flow accelerated corrosion to be precise, uh, which in the end meant that the, there was extensive repairs needed within one or two years of the pumps being installed, which is you know really a, a really bad outcome. So you know the, the problem here is when the purchaser is locked in an incorrect material choice into the specifications, it can be really difficult sometimes to to get a change when you you're um, that far along in the contract. So again, anything API can do to, to steer people to to make the the right choices up front, I think is 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 a great thing. Yeah. And to reduce those those changes so you're not locked into the bad ones. So let's talk about yeah. more changes or updates to the standard. Which ones were you most pleased to see happen with the API 61012 edition? Um, okay, so I was really pleased to see that the, the, the testing hydraulics section had some really significant updates. They increased the number of tested points to, to better characterize the pump performance over the entire flow range. Previously, there were some really big gaps in where they asked for the testing points, which were okay for characterizing the the hydraulic characteristic of the pump, but it left some very large gaps in understanding uh, what else was happening with the pump, for example, with vibration. Um, they also, uh, another thing I was really pleased to see, they added some specific guidance on, on what pumps should not be tested at shutoff for safety reasons. That has always been a really big point of contention in the past. Uh, I, I can remember quite a number of instances where I, you know, got into you know arguments with the with the purchaser over we weren't going to test this pump at, at shut off because we didn't believe that it was safe um, to do so and they were insistent that it was and and it's without some objective uh, requirements you you know you, you get in this kind of do loop and it, it's very difficult to to get to a, a resolution that's uh, that's acceptable to both parties. And so finally, they, they added some, some matching criteria for the pumps that, that, op that operate in parallel. And that requires them to test within 3% of each other. Previously, that wasn't there. And there was a danger when a purchaser bought a, a number of pumps that would operate in parallel that you would, you would have a risk of what they call strong weak uh, pump uh, issues where the, the pump that performs slightly stronger would res, would push the weaker pump to operate in a region where it was unreliable. 
So let's take a look at the flip side because you're talking about uh, unreliability, the opposite of what we want. So when we look at the opposite things of what we would want with this, what changes or updates to the standard do you wish they had not made? <laughs> yeah, that, that's one of my one of my favorite favorite topics. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, and uh, you know, one I I actually actually write about a, a fair bit. But but yeah, the 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 part that I that I was less happy with in the standard was they added a new appendix and it's appendix O called special purpose pumps. And they, they, they made, they filled it full of what I would characterize as a very general shopping list of things for purchasers to consider adding to their specification when they purchase a pump that's in that category. And that's kind of confusing. I've seen, other standards where that's been done, and the outcome is purchasers get confused and they just check everything. They say, "Or oh, just give me everything that's in there, whether it's applicable or not." And that's that's not good from a you know from a cost standpoint, or just you know it, it's not a good outcome. Um, the the other thing is the the appendix is kind of really confusing with the terminology that it uses. It, it has it offers at the beginning this opinion on what is high energy. Um, and it says that there isn't really a definition for that. And, but then elsewhere in the standard, there is a definition for it, actually. Let me look. Section 6.9.4.6 and figure 35, to be precise. So, you know, this is the issue. There's definitions um, and, and they kind of contradict themselves. Um, so it, it's what I expect to see will happen with this appendix O is that there will be a lot of confusion and there'll be significant overuse of it when purchases are on the safe side. So if I'd had my choice, I, I would have left it out or I would have rewritten it to be you know, a lot more uh, objective than, than it, it currently is. Yeah. So uh, since I feel like we're doing an audio version of an unboxing video on YouTube, uh, of course you want to let purchasers know as much about this as possible. So what other obvious visible changes should the purchasers expect to see going forward? Okay, so I mean, in terms of other changes, I think one of the, uh, another one that people are, are it's going to be really visible to people is on, they, they changed the, the, um, the packaging requirements or mandated different packaging requirements for uh, overhung pumps, OH2 style pumps. And on typical orders, they, they make up probably 75 to 80% of, of a you know, big order of, of pumps. So what that means is that you know, over three quarters of them, are, you, you're going to see this change. Uh, in, in the earlier versions, uh, the auxiliary items that, that are on a, uh, an OH2 pump were, and these are, these are things like, for example, the, um, the Plan 53's seal system or um, some some cooling or whatever, these things could be mounted wherever the pump manufacturer chose. And a lot of, a lot of the times they would they would mount them to minimize cost, you know, piping cost, fabrication cost, that kind of thing. And this was typically pretty close to the seal chamber or the bearing chamber, which is fine to from a, a manufacturing standpoint. The problem is later on when you want to do maintenance, you've got this um, these auxiliary items that are right next to the pump and right next to the parts of the pump that you want to either inspect or remove 
and and so for maintenance personnel it was it was really not not a great situation that they were that they were in so the, the latest addition has said okay you're not going to do that anymore you have to put these auxiliaries in front of the pump nozzle in order to uh, give the maintenance personnel a chance to actually do their job properly so i thought that was pretty good it was it was good of them to make that that call and uh you know the the maintenance personnel will definitely thank us in a few years time yeah and of course that's you know the main objective here is that we want to make things easier everybody wants things to be easier more efficient more reliable uh, more cost effective so let's take a look if we can kind of an overview of the strengths and weaknesses of the current standard i mean to start with just to be clear no standard is ever perfect and api 610 is is no exception to that the strengths are the level of prescriptive technical detail contained in it. You, you, there, there are plenty of um, pump standards out there, um, you know, primarily by Hydraulic Institute and ANSI. Also, ISO has quite a few. They tend to be much less prescriptive. In other words, you have the, the supplier has a lot more leeway to do things however they want to do them, uh, whereas API kind of says, okay, here's a lot of stuff that you have to do it this specific way. And, and that really is a testament to the combined experience of the contributors to the standard, which, I mean, honestly, if I was to add it up, I would say that runs to like hundreds of years of experience. You know, um, the, the, the contributors to the standard put, have put an enormous effort into making sure that these pumps are made in a way that is safe and reliable. I, I know a number of them personally, and you know, I, I would say without a doubt they are top-notch engineers and dedicated to the to the craft. Um, with all that said, <laughs> now I'll go to the kind of flip side. Um, while the API, while the the twelfth edition standard makes a lot of improvements, uh, in my opinion, it leaves some uh, problematic areas, and I've actually written a, you know, a LinkedIn blog series about this, which I think goes from parts one to seven. I'll probably think of some more later on, but uh, <laughs> for now, for now, one to seven seems like enough. Um, and so, for example, part seven of my aforementioned blog series, I, I discussed how the, um, the API 610 rules for bearing housing temperature rise, or bearing temperature rise, sorry, were you know, resulted in kind of suboptimal design decisions and outcomes that could actually, in some cases, at least reduce the pump's reliability. So, you know, that unfortunately hasn't been addressed in 12th edition. Uh, another example would be um, that API 610 kind of sort of wants to have things both ways. It wants to use uh, a, a, a code written by ASME, which, which regulates how pressure boundary is designed but it wants to have its own little control over, over the allowable stress levels. And that results in, in a lot of confusion. And in some cases, uh, you can actually end up with a situations where you have less factor of safety and less reliability than you would otherwise. So there's another example where, um, you know, the outcome was not really, you know, really what they intended. And if listeners are curious to to see all the parts that you're referring to, uh, I believe there will be a link 
in the podcast webpage as well. Is that right? Yeah, apparently we're going to put a link in there. Um, so, you know, I, I, if you have curiosity to, to, to see what, what other, other um, comments I've made on, on the API 610 standard, you can certainly click on the link and go look. Perfect. So finally, Simon, you know, we talked about the strengths, the weaknesses. Obviously, nothing is perfect. You mentioned that before. So let's set our sights a little into the future. What do you see as next for the standard? What should be in lucky version 13 and why? 13 is actually my lucky number. I was <laughs> I, I, I was 13 years old on August Friday the 13th. So wow, that's probably too much personal information, but I you, you know that's I'm standing by it for now. So it, and I'm, happy I'm early birthday, to, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to version 13. So hopefully not. not it's, hopefully it's not going to take 13 years to produce, but we'll see. Um, right. Anything better than 11? Better than 11 is good. Uh, so. <laughs> I mean, I, I expect we're going to see uh, some the standard evolve uh, to address some of the challenges inherent with uh, some of these alternative fuels we're seeing now, um, hydrogen, for example, and some of the liquid fuels synthesized from it. And you know, th this is all you know the the energy makeup of 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 the world is is changing. Some of it, um, some of it driven by concerns around climate change. Some of it driven around other you know, external factors such as Ukraine, for example. And so I, I expect the standard will evolve to address that. Um, many of the parts, many parts of the world appear to be on a warming trend, and this will um, create a harsh environment. That, that's just the reality. Um, you know, and a harsh, a harsh environment for man-made equipment mm -hmm. in terms of you know, corrosion in terms of trying to keep the equipment at an appropriate operating temperature. And so I think the standard will necessarily evolve to, to cover that as well. And then I, I guess finally, I think we're, what I'm observing is that we're seeing some really serious money being put into carbon capture and sequestration, uh, I, again, as a, as a response to, to climate change. And those those services present some pretty unique challenges in handling that fluid, you know, safely and reliably. And I expect that we'll we'll see the standard again, you know, trying to to address some of those challenges to make sure that it's it's done in an appropriate manner. And of course, challenges are what makes it fun. Yeah, never a dull moment, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Always trying to perfect. Simon Bradshaw, Global Director of Engineering and Technology for Trillium. Simon, thank you so much for being with me today. And if people have more questions in addition to the seven-part series, any questions about what we've talked about today or anything with regard to Trillium in general, where can they go? Well, the best place for you to hit me up on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm always there. Perfect. And of course, go into the Trillium website to learn more about Trillium and everything that Trillium Flow Technologies does. And it is it is a lot, as you can hear Simon just talking about one aspect of, of, you know, just part of what Trillium is involved in. But Simon, I thank you so much for your time and very detailed information, but you make it pleasant to listen to and uh, you're very... Uh, easily engaged with the subject matter. And I think that really was reflected in how our viewers will, or listeners rather, will take that as well. Uh, a lot of information to cover and, and you did a great job of doing that. So thank you so much, Simon, once again for joining me today. Uh, thanks, Michelle. It was a pleasure to be here.
And thank you to everyone listening to Flowcast, the podcast presented by Trillium Flow Technologies. I'm your host, Michelle Dawn Moody. Be sure to subscribe to Flowcast to hear more episodes, and we hope to see you soon. 